Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Occasionally in mathematics, a young student makes a breakthrough so profound that it leaves the expert stunned. This is what happened in 1982 when the Englishman Simon Donaldson began to publish his insights into four-dimensional manifolds, loosely speaking, four-dimensional spaces. He was only 25 years old, midway through his PhD. One of the things that made his discoveries especially remarkable. Was that they were prompted by concepts in modern physics, the so-called gauge theories. They'd been hugely successful in accounting for experiments on atoms and the nuclei at their cores. By studying the mathematical structures of these theories, Simon Donaldson was led to what his supervisor Michael Atiyah described to me as the most stunning discovery in mathematics in the last two decades of the 20th century. My name is Graham Farmelow, and I'm the author of *The Universe Speaks in Numbers*, which looks at how physics and mathematics are continually indebted to each other. Simon Donaldson is a prominent figure in this story, so I was delighted to have the opportunity to talk with him during a visit last November to the Simon Centre for Geometry and Physics at Stony Brook University on Long Island. Donaldson is a delightful interviewee, friendly, thoughtful, and exceedingly modest. Occasionally, he uses mathematical terms that are unfamiliar to most of us, but I'd recommend that you let them wash over you and that you focus on the big picture. You're about to hear a really first-rate mathematician reflect on his experience of working alongside and sometimes collaborating with physicists. It's a revealing listen. I began by asking Donaldson whether he was interested in mathematics when he was a boy. Yes, from the time I was. I think about twelve or so. Really? I、yeah. sort of, I took it up as a hobby outside school. Read, outside reading, school, reading books and playing around with various projects of my own.、Mm-hmm. Mostly,、um, came to nothing, <laughs> no, no really concrete conclusion. But I, I, so I was sort of working as a mathematician somehow. Be, I, I'm intrigued. You say you, you, you was it as a hobby as well as school? You mean you were?、Uh, yes. Okay. Well, I'm, I, I, I think I was given a book on calculus, sort of a few years before、ah. we did it at school, and so I, I read that, and、right. I was.、Um, <laughs> I, yeah. Donaldson did his first degree in mathematics at Cambridge, where he acquired a passion for the subject, as he later told me. For his PhD, he moved to Oxford, where he worked with the great Michael Atiyah, who was in the process of morphing into a quasi-physicist, as he put it. 
having done much to illuminate the mathematics of gauge theories. Donaldson told me that he'd become interested in differential geometry, the branch of mathematics at the heart of Einstein's theory of gravity. In, in choosing to go to Oxford, I wasn't the, the the link with physics was not a direct motivation. Yeah. I was I was really interested in differential geometry and manifolds, which is something that wasn't didn't really feature at all in the Cambridge course. Really? Well, it, only to a very small extent. Did, it, the, the, I, most of the courses I did in Cambridge were on functional analysis and things of that, well, algebraic topology, but more, more sort of abstract. So yeah. it, was, it was quite hard to learn anything about. When you say differential geometry there, you, uh, again, if you'll forgive me as a, coming as a physicist here, were you interested in its connection to Einstein's theory of gravity or was that of no concern of yours? It, it, was, it was more abstract than that, perhaps. Well, I was interested, that was, in fact, the only place to learn about differential geometry in the Cambridge course then was in a, a relativity course. Ah. So I, kind of, I learned about... Oh, you, so you went to a physics course then, then? Oh, yes. Ah. I, mean, I, did, I did quite a lot of physics. I did quite a lot of the applied courses in... Ah! I mean, I, I didn't master them in the same way, but I went to things on classical theory of fields. I wondered, was Donaldson as confident in physics as he was in mathematics? I was somewhat confident. I, I, it's hard to explain. I mean, I, in school, I did studied physics A-level and things, and so I, I had at one time I was even thinking of... Back in school, I was even thinking of doing physics rather than... Oh, I see. But, yeah. um, and I say, I, I, I did a lot of applied courses of classical kind of mathematical physics. But I somehow what I missed was the problems that you were set would be more like calculate something yes. rather than <laughs> how do you find a, a way to prove... So the, what you had to do, I found more... Trying to prove something was more um, congenial to me than how to calculate something... But you could do it, you say. You, you, you could, it pressed you could do well, that. I could do, it pressed, yes. It pressed I, I could do to some extent. How did it feel to make an unarguably great discovery in mathematics so early in his research career? I was expecting Donaldson to play down his great achievement and he duly obliged. Yes, I mean, it was unexpected to me. But the initial, kind of the first result, which started the subject came completely as a byproduct of trying to do something else. And I, I was just studying these spaces of solutions to this this instanton equation. So we're talking about we're talking about Yang Mills theories here, yeah, field theories applied to field theory. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I, my, my project, PhD project, involves studying the solutions of these equations. Yeah. So I just in trying to understand how these spaces behaved, one just got this picture and then one saw this tells us something about formula faults, but it wasn't... In fact, initially, I thought that what it told you about formula faults was some well-known thing. <laughs> mm. you, thought, you thought other people would have known it? Yes, I thought yeah. that maybe yeah. this is just yeah. some theorem yeah. about formula faults. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I, I wasn't at all a specialist in ah, formula faults. So uh -huh. I, I just thought maybe this was a, a neat way of proving some... Or already been well established. ...well-known yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I looked into it more... I had also a, a colleague. I shared a, an office then with Mike Hopkins, who yeah. subsequently became a very well-known algebraic topologist. Mm -hmm. so he, he played a big role in pointing out that something that I thought might be <laughs> some well-known true thing was not. This was more the algebraic side. Was, right. not, was not true. But after that, then to kind of get more information, then that was more about designing a, an approach to mm -hmm. extract more information from mm -hmm. these things. Donaldson told me that he'd often been impressed by the insights into mathematics made by physicists, especially Edward Witten, 
who's made unexpected connections between mathematics and physics. Most famously, Witten discovered astonishing relationships between the mathematician's theory of knots and the physicist's theory of quantum fields. The mathematicians, too, were doing much to improve our understanding of gauge theories. Many of these advances enabled by progress in calculus, especially in solving what are known as differential equations, which relate not only different variable quantities, but also the rates at which they change. One prerequisite for these developments is advances in nonlinear partial differential equations, mm-hmm. so that one can actually, in many cases, prove things mm-hmm. rigorously about these complicated equations, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. would really be out of range of people a hundred years ago. They might have, even if they'd thought of writing down these Yang-Mills equations, there wouldn't have been the, the underlying mathematical foundations to prove anything in a rigorous way about them. But also the obviously developments in the physics side and the whole kind of, well, I think it was the whole Witten <laughs> movement, you might say, because he's, mm. he's a, there are many others, but he's the absolute mm. Twelve years after Donaldson made his first great discoveries about four-dimensional spaces, bright new light was shed on these subjects by two physicists, Natty Seiberg and Edward Witten, working at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton. Seiberg and Witten were developing theories of quarks and gluons, the fundamental particles inside nuclear particles. And they were using supersymmetry, a proposed fundamental symmetry of nature. Seiberg and Witten's insights into four-dimensional space astounded mathematicians. They regarded the Seiberg-Witten discovery as a wonderful Christmas present from physicists. What does Donaldson remember about that time? It would have been quite possible that mathematicians would have come across the Seiberg-Witten equations and seen that they also gave information about mm-hmm. formula fills. That could easily have happened perhaps a few years up. But what is a big surprise is that Seiberg and Witten wrote down a, a formula relating these Seiberg-Witten solutions mm-hmm. to the instanton solutions, mm-hmm. which, as you say, they were led to this formula by physics quantum field theory arguments, mm. which are not, can't be made directly of rigorous mathematics. But the former is the overwhelming evidence that it's true, and some of mathematicians are still struggling to understand... Why it's true. Why it's true. <laughs> yes. there, are, there, are, yeah. there are some mathematical proofs of, of slightly, some under slightly restricted conditions that mm. are mathematical proofs, but they don't really give insight into why it's true. I think you know, there, are, there are various versions of the former. In, in, in some versions, one gets certain... Classical functions or modular forms appearing as generating functions for these things, and mm. that's really completely mysterious mm. mathematically why these mm. things should appear. One can find ingenious proofs to say that that's what the formula must be, but mm. there's many years ahead of work for mathematicians to sort of catch up in a sense and try to uh, try to find really understand. But that it was important not just for understanding this particular formula, but also for Presumably, that would lead to insights into the mathematical foundations of quantum field theory to be able to... So feeding back into yes, physics, so to speak. On, on, yeah, on the, on the yeah. 
If I may just jump ahead, we're sitting here at uh, the uh, Simon Centre for Geometry and, and Physics. I think it's fair to say that the fact that you're sitting here demonstrates that you quite like working alongside physicists, among with mathematicians there as well. Oh, yes. It, uh, uh, so th- this is an environment that's now con- congenial to you. I don't want to put words into your math, but I would imagine you would still describe yourself as a mathematician. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And yet you're in a position where you want to have physicists on hand to talk with as well as mathematicians. Is that right? That's right. I mean, Nikita Nekrasov is just next door. Mm. Be, although he's a physicist, artificial, there's a lot of overlap between, in fact, one of the things he's famous for is um, it's a lot more work on this cyber Witten mm-hmm. and uh, instanton theory. So, yeah, it is a, an exciting opportunity, these interactions. The uh, problem is that one gets so short of time. I would like to have more time, to probably, to, to go to the physics yeah. uh, activities. Donaldson strikes me as typical of first-class mathematicians. Cautiously spoken, careful not to hype advances, content to take the long view and expect major advances to occur on a timescale of decades or even centuries. And that's in sharp contrast to physicists, who seem to me much less patient, readily jumping on bandwagons and often seeming to expect new advances to arrive in a steady stream almost as if nature were obliged to keep its investigators busy. Does Donaldson agree that there are deep cultural differences between the physicists and mathematicians? Yeah, there is a, a big, really a language problem, I would say. Mm. It's not, I mean, obviously mathematicians are involved with proving things, physicists are not directly concerned about proving things, mm. but that, that's not really the main problem. We, we kind of accept that. It's more of a way of expressing things. Mm. It's different. For example, I, I went to a physics a talk by a physicist a while ago that was very interesting, but they were using this word about uh, these manifolds were wrapped on some cycles. And this is uh, wrapped, it's not a manifold. What, was, <laughs> what do you mean the, by the that? The whole frustration was what was, yeah. <laughs> if you could just say what mm. you meant by wrapped, then mm-hmm. that would have become much mm. clearer. So mm-hmm. it's probably some very familiar mathematical notion. I could just say in mathematical mm. language mm. what this was, but th- there was a physicist's way of saying it. There are interpreters, people like um, well, Witten, of course, and Dave Morris, and people yes. who can speak both. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's the, the, the younger generation. There are many more people in the younger generation who right. can kind of talk both. Uh, uh, no, that's interesting. You, you, so you really do believe that the... The aim that was nurtured in the 90s of actually bringing up a generation that was ideally equally comfortable in pure mathematics and, and, and physics, that you, that's starting to come through, you think, now? I think so. Right. Yes, maybe not. I mean, maybe there are not many who are equally, but there are many who, yeah. And you do and think... Under, under, it's much better. Yeah, yeah. Be. OK. And one last thing. Uh, there was, you'll know the, uh, there was this controversy uh, way back from uh, when Jaffe and Quinn were critical of the, this, this, uh, that, uh, the way the mathematicians were almost soiling, them, uh, soiling their purity by collaborating with uh, physicists who were not sufficiently rigorous in their approach. Do you think that concern has gone away now? It hasn't gone away. It is a definite... It's a valid point. It's not the thing of primary interest mm. to me because I think the primary thing is to to understand, for example, in the cyber and the stuff, maybe they're talking about integrating over infinite-dimensional space, Uh-oh. which um, <laughs> maybe is not actually mathematically defined, but at least I can say that's the, that's the concept. <laughs> but that will be just one, there'll be many other concepts. I think, what, what does this mean? What, how yeah. can I translate that into something that I could understand even 
imagining that the infimensional mm. spaces were finite dimensional. Mm -hmm. So that, that's really the, the main thing to me. But for the question of rigor, as you say, that is, if handled carefully, it's not a big thing, but it, it could be very bad for mathematics if the kind of a, a culture grew up of unproved results. So but you, but again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I get the impression you think that on balance it's been a bonus for pure mathematics, this, oh, yes. this connection. Oh, very much. Yeah. yeah. And many of the non-rigorous predictions of, uh, have ultimately been proved by indirect arguments. Donaldson is one of the towering figures in the overlapping territory between mathematics and physics. Together with a few dozen other top-flight mathematicians, he's helping to shed light on the theories that physicists are developing to describe nature at the deepest level. One of the joys of working on my book, The Universe Speaks in Numbers, has been to see mathematicians working so productively with theoretical physicists, often approaching the same project from different directions. It's important to remember that this phenomenon isn't new. For centuries, scholars trying to understand the concrete natural world have worked closely with thinkers about the abstract world of mathematics. The two worlds are closely linked and perhaps eventually will become one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.